certainly help us. And uh, today we come to this third one, uh, Genesis chapter 24, and that is the well of request. The well of request this morning. Uh, Genesis 24, and if you want to stand with me for just a few moments as we read, I'd invite you to do so. And uh, just going to read a couple of verses to kind of get us kicked off, probably a story that you know well. Uh, Abraham has called his eldest servant in who runs everything in his house. And uh, he had him put his hand under his thigh in that culture, in that time, uh, a sig- uh, signification that he was making an oath that he would not break. And uh, he said to him, as Abraham, uh, apparently uh, fairly old at this time, we know he's fairly old and apparently in a place where he couldn't get up and move around uh, too well, seemingly at least, he uh, has him place his hand under his thigh and promise him that he will not just take a wife from that area, uh, in other words, not a worldly person, but rather that he'll go back and find someone that would be an appropriate wife, somebody who would have a love for God would be the primary idea. And so uh, Genesis chapter 24, uh, we're going to pick up in verse number 10. The servant uh, has now clarified all of this. He's made this promise. It says in verse 10, And the servant took ten camels of the camels of his master and departed. For all the goods of his master were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia unto the city of Nahor. And he made his camels to kneel down without the city by a well of water at the time of the evening, even the time that women go out to draw water. And he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day, and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac, and thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that, behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, Let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, Drink, my lord. And she hasted and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him drink, she said, I will draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Father, we love you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would help us to learn from this servant who has come to this place, this well, as we learn some principles from this area, from this well that he has come to. We love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you much. You may be seated. As you are, I want to kind of remind you where we've been in this series. Of course, last week, uh, we took a week off from the series as Dr. Shetler was here, and a great blessing uh, that that was. But uh, today, as we launch back in, we want to remember first the uh, two wells that we've already looked at. And we looked at uh, these first two wells, and we want to see the uh, the flow here of the typical accuracy. And remember, a type is that which is a, an Old Testament picture of Jesus. And uh, this is, of course, uh, just an understanding or a picture that reveals some things about him. And so in this type, we see that the first two wells that we studied and that we mentioned, uh, first of all, they were located in the wilderness. If you remember that uh, wilderness, of course, both of them being uh, that... Uh, 
Ishmael, what's Ishmael's mom's name? Somebody yell it. Hagar, thank you. I totally went blank. I wanted to say Rahab, but I knew that wasn't right. Uh, Hagar uh, came out there in the wilderness, and the first time she came to the well of Revelation, it was revealed to her that uh, who God was and all these things. And so she came to that well, and she had that revelation that came to her. But then uh, the second time that she came to the well, now as Ishmael was a teenager, she came to the place where uh, it was the well of reception and redemption. And so the first time she came and she understood in essence that uh, God is the God who pays attention to her, who loves her, that he's a true God and there's one true God. And she began to believe that. But then she came to the place where she actually partook of the well. And of course, uh, we can see there in that typical uh, picture that it is the idea of partaking of that which was already provided by God the Father, the act of salvation or the moment of salvation. And so we see that she came and she she uh, understood, then she came and she received. And so we see that those two wells were located in the wilderness. Of course, that's a picture of the fact that a sinner who comes is certainly in the wilderness, amen? And they don't have yet a relationship with the Savior. And in that wilderness of life, as they are wandering lost in sin, they have no hope and nothing that they can do of themselves. And the only hope is to come and understand that indeed Jesus is God then to choose to partake, receiving Jesus as their personal Savior, and then to realize that it's not based on anything they've done but the promise, the oath of God, that God by his uh, own covenant has promised and covenanted with that person to save them for all of eternity. And we see in those wells this picture of what took place there in those areas. And so we see that they were located in the wilderness, they represented the revelation of God through the person of Jesus. Then they represented the re uh, reception of the Savior by the sinner. And they showed that it is God who was pursuing. He was the one pursuing Hagar, coming to her. And yet it was Hagar who responded to that pursuit and received the Lord Jesus Christ in that picture. And it was, it was she who chose to respond to the pursuing God. So we see many things uh, in these wells. Those are the first two mentions. Uh, the second well then, of course, we saw went a little bit further and it foreshadowed the fact that salvation is not based on hope so's, but I knows. I know what God has promised. I'm taking him at his word. I'm not just hoping to have eternal life, but I know I have eternal life based on the promise of the word of God. Now as we come to the third well, we see that it is perfect in its order. As we come to this third well here in Genesis chapter 24, we find that this well is not located in the wilderness. In fact, every well that we'll see from here on will recognize they are no longer, never will we see another one located in the wilderness uh, in these that are typical because they no longer would represent the right thing. Now we see that these wells are in a place that they don't picture uh, a person who is wandering and lost and looking and needing a savior, but now they will picture things in the Christian life and they will picture the way that the Christian life is to work. And so this next one here is the well of request. It's the one where we see pictured prayer, that we can come directly to God himself. It's really an amazing picture because we see that God has revealed himself that Hagar has responded, and now once there is relationship, the next picture that we'll see in these wells is request. You know, really, that's fellowship, is it not? 
As we come to God in prayer, the word pray means to request by definition, but as we come to God in prayer, it's really not us just trying to get our way, or at least it shouldn't be. It really should be a matter of fellowshipping with the Almighty God of heaven. Isn't it an amazing thing that he wants to spend time with us? That he wants us to come boldly before the throne of grace? I'll be honest, I don't really understand it. I think if I was the God of heaven, uh, there might be people I would want that kind of a relationship. But I know me pretty well, and I think I'd probably say, you know, I think maybe we'll just kind of hold off on you. We'll put you over here on the side. Uh, If we need a task done, we'll let you know. Otherwise, you just kind of stay over there. There's some other people a little easier over here to fellowship. I'll just kind of fellowship with these folks. And, uh, And you probably know yourself well enough to know that the holy God of heaven, who demands absolute perfection, and holiness might have a reason to say to you, I don't know about this closeness of fellowship. We know ourselves well enough to know that we don't have it figured out and there's nothing about us that would demand or even suggest that there would be a reason that the God of heaven would desire a relationship with us. And yet he does to the point that he not only pursues it, But then to the point that he says, now that you've come and received Jesus as your Savior, I want you to come to me. And I want you to speak to me. And I want you to make requests of me. And and, and I want a relationship with you. I want you to come and talk to me. And I want to have that that fellowship uh, that comes. And, And I want that to be a part of the relationship. And that's what we really see pictured here is this idea of being able to come to God. There is a, a song out there, uh, probably still somewhat popular. I don't really know. But uh, there was a day where I know it was a very popular song. Uh, it was a country song. And uh, that country song said something to this effect. Some of God's greatest gifts. Well, say it with me if you know it. Here we go. Ready to begin. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayer. I'm just looking around seeing who I need to look at next time I preach on country music, but you're all too smart for that. Uh, Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. That's what the song says. But you know what? We've got to be cautious not to let a wicked, ungodly song that has nothing to do with scripture define what we believe. And you know, I have heard that quoted uh, by, by preachers and saying that some of God's, in a positive sense, that some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Can I say to you this morning, that is absolutely false uh, according to the word of God. God's greatest gifts are not unanswered prayers. As a matter of fact, there's only one reason that we would have unanswered prayer, and that's if there's sin in our life which puts distance between us and God, and he is now resisting, uh, for instance, maybe resisting the prideful. Uh, It's when God says, no, 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 I'm stiff-arming, I'm resisting, I'm not hearing even. He says he can turn a deaf ear uh, even to the prayers of his own children. You know, it's not a blessing when God does not answer and, and listen to and respond to prayer, that is uh, everything but a blessing. Amen? The blessing is that God always answers the prayers of his children when we come to him in a right manner. Now, sometimes he says no. We don't always like those. Amen? I mean, when I say no to my children, most of the time they don't like that answer. I don't know why they don't learn to ask questions that the answer they want is no. But uh, they don't really like the word no, and we can be that way with God. We come and say, Lord, what about this? He says, no. And some people that don't understand the Bible will go and say, oh, that was an unanswered prayer. No, no, no. It was an answered prayer. It was God in his wisdom and in his sovereignty saying, no, that's not the answer. That's not what you need. That is not where we need to be going. That is a no 
at this time. And you know, sometimes my children ask things, and if you are a parent, your children have asked things, that uh, on occasion you know the best thing for them is a no, even though they don't agree. But you know that they need to hear no on that answer. And, and our God, some of his greatest blessings are when he says no to our prayers. Amen? But it's not when he just doesn't answer them. Sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says wait. Sometimes he just says yes. And he blesses us in that thing or that area. And what a great blessing that that is and how exciting that that is. And we'll see this morning how it is that we're to come to him. And as we come to God in this kind of a manner, uh, the reality of how he works and how he answers and how we can see prayer uh, that is answered with a yes on a very regular basis, amen? And uh, we'll see that this morning. By the way, just a side note, that is part of why it's so important to be cautious on what we sing. Because what you sing, you will eventually believe, if you don't already. And we have a culture that believes because of a country song that was written by, I don't even know who, but probably somebody who obviously at least did not have a great understanding of prayer in the scripture, uh, they have uh, allowed that to influence their thinking such that it's become their doctrine. But unfortunately, that's crept into many churches that worldly thinking has become their doctrine because they listened to it, they sung it, and before long they believed it. And can I just say there is an attack on singing in our nation and against singing the hymns of the faith, against singing praises to our God. And the reason right now there's an attack is because what you, believe, what you sing, you'll believe. And Satan wants us to stop singing those praises. And this is not a new battle. This is not something that's come about lately. This is something for uh, millennia that has been battled. Satan would love to get us to stop singing praises to our God because it affects our worship. It affects our belief. And it affects what our doctrine, our personal doctrinal belief becomes. And all of a sudden, he can get us in a different place. If the devil could get us to sing the world's music and not the music of the king of kings then he could change what we think and what we believe in many cases. And so there is an attack there, and we need to be aware of that and aware of standing, even in an area of that we are going to sing the praises to our king, and there's a reason for it. All right, that's just a side note for this morning, though. Um, that was free. We won't charge you any extra. Amen? All right, the power. We see, first of all, the power of his prayer. Here comes this man, and uh, he's going to come to fulfill this mission, this duty on behalf of Abraham. And as he comes, he's got to find the right wife for Isaac. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't really imagine being tasked with the job of finding a wife for somebody else. But I really can't imagine having somebody else tasked with the job of finding a wife for me. <laughs> Amen? I mean, could you imagine what uh, Isaac, I mean, we see when they come back, and if you know the story, you know when they come back uh, on that camel that she lights off her camel, she jumps off, and uh, there comes Isaac out in the field. My guess is he was out there praying for the servant. Lord, would you give him wisdom? Lord, help him pick a pretty one. I mean, he's probably out there making some request of God himself. And uh, Lord, would you, would you give direction? Lord, I don't want the wrong wife. And whoever this servant happens to go to a faraway land and come back with, I'm stuck. So Lord, help it to be the right choice, the right decision, and, and all that's taking place. And here's this man. He recognizes that as well. He also recognizes that probably one day Isaac's going to be his master, and uh, he, he probably has a deep love for Isaac. And so here's this servant. He wants to get it right. And then not only that, but it's a task not only for Abraham, but really it's a task that has to do uh, with, with God. And he understands this is God's will 
that needs to be done. So there's a lot of pressure on this man. And as he comes into this situation, in verse number 13, he says, Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. We see here his power in his prayer, was directly related to the manner in which he was coming. Uh, Remember the well, we've seen in the Old Testament here, it is a type of Christ. And here's this man, he's coming by the well of water. He was coming to the Father, if we could say it this way, at the place, the well, that would picture the coming Messiah, that is a picture of Jesus. Here's what he's saying, I'm coming to the Father, I'm coming to make requests, and I'm coming in this place, I'm coming in relationship to this well, this one that is going to be a picture of that. We only have power in prayer, the Bible tells in the New Testament, when we come to the Father in the name of the Son, the name of Jesus. So what is it that this man is doing? Here's what he's doing. He's saying, look, I'm coming to you. And I don't know if he understood all the typical picture and accuracy that needed to be here, but God did and caused it to be recorded this way. And so he comes by this well and he's saying, look, the relation that I'm coming to, I'm standing here by this well. And that's his his opening to God in prayer. Why in the world would he come to God in prayer, the God of the universe, and say, hey, I'm standing here by this well? God knew where he was standing. But it was important for him to say that because what he's saying is this is the place of relationship with Christ. This is the place I'm coming to you in accordance to this which pictures the coming Messiah. So coming in Jesus' name is more than just saying the words in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Amen? (laughs) Coming in Jesus' name means we are coming in the place where Jesus is. Or we are coming in unity, we are coming uh, in uh, understanding of the will that he has. We are coming and we are praying in such a manner that we are in communion with the well, with the Savior. The one who is the well of living water. The one who is the well of that eternal life that he told the woman at the well about there in Samaria that he who would drink of him will thirst no more. And of course he's speaking of eternity, he's speaking of salvation. The one who is the eternal drink, the one who is the eternal water, the one who is eternal life is the one that we come to and we say, look, Father, I'm not just coming to you on my own, but I'm coming to God in relation to Jesus and I'm coming in communion with Jesus and I'm coming in the fact that Jesus is the one one by whom I am coming and in whom I am coming and with a relationship that I am coming. And so it's vital, as he says he's by this well, what he's saying is, look, I'm in relation to the well. I'm by the well. And we come to the Father. We say, I'm coming by Jesus. I am coming in relationship to him. I'm not just coming to make my own request for my own will and my own desire. I'm really coming to say, what is it that Jesus would want? And let me pray that for my life. As we come in Jesus' name and we pray in Jesus' name, he says we can have all of our prayer requests answered. And how do we do that? Well, we come and we're not praying, Lord, would you give me a million dollars and a Lamborghini? Because that's not in communion with the well. That's not in communion with what the will of God would necessarily be in our life. Uh, if God blesses in that and you have a million dollars on Lamborghini, praise the Lord. What a blessing. But, but that's not probably the prayer request that is the driving force of life. I have to have that. That's not going to be God's primary goal for our life. But you know, when we come and we say, Lord, now we're going to go out this week and we're going to go knock on some doors and invite some people to church and 
And would you help there to be somebody that even now you'd begin working on their heart? And even now, would you help maybe their, their grandma or their aunt or whoever it might, that, that they would call them and, Lord, I don't even know what house I'm going to knock on, but you do. And, Lord, would you prepare the way ahead of time? And, Lord, I'm coming to you in communion with my Savior. I'm coming to, to God, and I'm coming to you asking something I know would please Jesus. And I'm asking, would you prepare that, and then would you open the door while I'm there that I might be able to give them the gospel, whether I'm just planting, whether I'm, I'm watering somebody else called this week, or whether I would have the opportunity to reap the harvest. Uh, Lord, I don't know what the case would be, but would you open the door that I could present the gospel? And, and maybe would there be somebody on that map you're going to give me on Saturday that even now they would begin having their heart prepared you know if we're praying that there's a good chance we're going to see some yeses amen so we're talking about we're not coming and saying here's what i want somebody said that prayer it should be like uh when you're out on a, a boat and you have what's called a shore hook and uh, it's a hook that is on a rope and you throw it over and attach it to something on the shore and then you use that rope and you start pulling on it you're not going to pull the shore to the boat amen but you are going to pull the boat to the shore. And God and his will is like that shore. It's not going to move. But the boat, our life, it needs to come into uh, alliance, into accordance, into relationship with the will of God. And when that happens, the Bible tells us that he gives us the desires of our heart. It's not that he gives us whatever we want in that verse. What he's saying in that verse, that he gives us the desires of our heart. When we come in a right manner, God puts in us a desire for the things that he wants for our life. All of a sudden, our will is aligned to his will. And that's really what prayer should be, and that should be the aim of prayer. Lord, I'm not trying to get you to change your direction and your will to match mine. I'm trying to get mine to align with yours. Because I want to be able to come to you in the confidence of knowing that I'm coming in Jesus' name, that I'm coming in accordance with him, that I am coming in a manner that he is pleased with, and that I'm not just asking for what I want in a selfish manner, but rather I'm asking for that which I believe is what Jesus has planned, that God has planned for my life. And so we're coming in that way. We see the power of his prayer. This man's not coming and saying, would you give me what I want? This man is coming and saying, would you make your will clear so that I'll know where to step and how to follow the will of God? And so we see here this response. We see this power in his prayer. Secondly, we notice the purpose of his prayer, the power of his prayer, but then the purpose of his prayer. Verse number 12, if you back up just another verse there, he says, and he said, Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, and here's his request, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Now he knows Abraham's the one who God has blessed. So he's saying, would you uh, work there? Would you show kindness unto my master Abraham? Would you give me good speed? Would you bless so that I know your direction, your will? Uh, then verse number 13 we just read. We'll read it again. Behold, I stand here by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city come out to draw water. Verse 14. Now look at the specifics in this verse. And let it come to pass that the damsel to whom I shall say, let down thy pitcher, I pray thee, that I may drink. And she shall say, drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou, the will of God, hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast shown kindness unto my master. We see here, first of all, that it was a clear prayer. This man did not come and say, well, Lord... 
Would you give me direction? He didn't come and say, well, Lord, would you give me a feeling of peace? If I just had a feeling of who I should go and talk to. You know, sometimes we can get in trouble because we rely too much on our feelings, even as Christians. Amen? When we come to trying to figure out the will of God, there's a lot of things we need to look at before a feeling of peace. And so we need to come, we need to figure out, is it biblical? What's the word of God? We need to pray about it. We need to get in the Bible, we need to pray. Uh, You know, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it really doesn't matter if we have peace about it or not. Amen? I mean, if you don't have peace, but the Bible says do it, then you just got to go do it. And uh, and so uh, we've got to be careful that we don't get to the place where it becomes about an emotion, about a feeling of whether or not we feel like we have peace. I've seen people that think, well, I have peace about buying a Lamborghini. I don't feel bad. I think it'd be great. It doesn't necessarily mean it's God's will. Amen? And, and, so, uh, and, and so there's nothing wrong with that. That's a part of the decision, but it's not the whole decision. So he didn't just come and say, Lord, would you give me peace? Would you give me a feeling? Would you just direct me and make me just kind of run over somebody? No, he came with a very clear direction. Lord, I'm going to go to one of these ladies, and I'm going to ask them for a drink. And when I do, would you make them say that they'll be doing, willing to do more than even what I ask. And so it's a very clear, uh, very specific type of a request. Here's what he was asking. First of all, a drink in this day uh, and in this culture from one of these ladies, that would have been a, considered a common courtesy. So here's what he was saying. He was saying, Lord, would you help this person that you have for my master Isaac, would you help them to be somebody who is sociable? Would you help them to be somebody who cares about others and at least gives some common courtesy? Would you help them to be sociable? And then not only that, would you help them to be humble? I mean, this is somebody they could look at it and say, you know what, I drew my own water. Of course, men really didn't draw water in this time. Primarily it was the ladies uh, as far as for the home and the household, and that's what this would have been. And, and so uh, they could have said, you know, I mean, I'll give you a drink, I guess, but man, I've been out here working. I've been drawing this water. Why, why can't you uh, have, you know, somebody of your own, one of your own people come over here and draw this water? I don't understand what the problem is. And, and they could have just not given that common courtesy, but they needed to be humble enough to give that. So he said, look, would you give somebody who's sociable, who's humble, who's kind? I mean, somebody who has just a general kindliness about them. And that's the first part, that they would at least the normal things of life that they would be willing to pay attention to. But then he went way beyond that, and he said that they would also offer water for his camels. Now that was above and beyond. In fact, it was above and beyond that extra mile that we sometimes talk about. Watering the camels was not even uh, really on the table. It certainly wasn't common courtesy. Watering the camels was way out. Watering the camels was uh, way overkill of an offer to make. In fact, this lady has come with a pitcher to bring water back to her home, and uh, probably uh, one to three gallons, depending on kind of who you look at. Uh, these camels are going to drink gallon upon gallon upon gallon of water, and uh, it's an incredible amount of water. The number of trips that she would have had to make to draw and then dump it in the trough and draw and dump it in the trough. Uh, I've heard numbers from 50 to 100 trips uh, somewhere in there. Uh, I mean, this was a labor. This was a task, probably something that would cost her uh, a significant amount of time. Uh, it, it, was, uh, it was very laborious. She came out to draw water for her family. She didn't come out to work on the farm. Amen? She's not dressed for it, probably. She doesn't have the bigger, uh, maybe a bigger bucket that she could get a little more at a time and have a few people help pull it. I mean, she is going to labor to do this. This is not an easy task. So for him to say, would you help her to do that, and to say that of her own volition, that's kind of out there. 
I mean, really, it's a prayer request that, that we would look at. Sometimes we talk about having an impossible prayer request. Lord, here's something I'm asking you to do that it's, it's it, humanly speaking, it's an impossibility. But I know you're God, so I know you can do it. That's this. And he comes and he prays and he says, God, would you help this impossible thing to happen? Because, Lord, if it's not something miraculous, I don't know for sure if it's your will. But if you'll do something miraculous, that'll clarify it's your will. The only person that would do this is somebody who God's working in their heart to do it because I've asked them to. That's the idea of what this servant is asking. It's way above and it's way beyond that which makes sense. It's a very clear prayer. But then the Bible shows us it's a very confident prayer. The Bible says that, um, verse 15, it came to pass before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. And the damsel was very fair to look upon, a virgin, neither had any man known her. And she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up, and the servant ran to meet her. Now, I don't know, maybe this is where that understanding of the peace of God came in. Maybe it was just somehow, uh, it was like God said in his spirit, that's the one. Maybe she came out and he thought, well, I hope she's the one. Isaac will be happy. And uh, so maybe he just kind of ran over there and figured, I'm gonna, if I'm going to ask him, I'm going to give her the first shot to offer to water my camels and uh, just see if she's the one. Maybe it was the timing. It says as soon as he had finished speaking there. So maybe uh, the timing of it, he said, this must be then what God is doing. I've just prayed this. I've asked for direction. And now here she comes right along the way. It, it would only make sense, perhaps, to, to his mind that this must be the one. And, but whatever it is, he has some confidence about him. I mean, he's not taking any chances that somebody else might get there first. He's not taking any uh, chances that somebody, and I don't think this was exactly like the social gathering place where everybody was going and asking somebody out, but when you're in Bible college, that's kind of what that is. Amen? And I can remember after some uh, services, there might be somebody that uh, you want to ask because there's a banquet coming up, and they announce the banquet for the first time, and, and, and in your mind, you go, you know, I better hurry up. Because if somebody else beats me and they say yes to them, then I've got to figure out option number two, and that's never a blessing, amen? So I want to go and see if that person will go with me. And, and so you, you beeline over there. As soon as chapel was over, you'd see all these guys scurrying around that didn't already uh, have a girlfriend that they knew was committed to going with them. And then you'd scurry around, try to beat everybody else so you could say, hey, I'd like to take you to that banquet. And then you'd try to get there without looking like you were trying to run, amen? And, uh, and I just kind of picture this servant saying, well, I can't take a chance. I mean, this must be the way it just makes sense. It seems like God's brought her. And I picture him going and running over to her and probably as he gets there trying to look like he's not really rushing. I don't know for sure, but my mind's eye, my imagination. I picture him coming and saying, hey, can I just have a little drink? And that's normal. And she's kind and she's gentle. And she takes that picture down and I know it's not the vernacular of the day, but saying, sure. I'd be glad, glad to give you a drink. Dip him out a little bit of water. And then as she turns and sees not one or two camels, ten camels. And, and I can almost just imagine her maybe thinking from it. You ever know you ought to offer to do something, but you really don't feel like it and you really don't have time at the moment, but you know you should? Have you ever had that moment of hesitation that, that you kind of go, really don't want to do this? I, maybe she was excited. Maybe she loved camels and, and she just couldn't wait to go get water for camels. But my guess is this was not something she was thrilled about, it, just humanly speaking. 
Because that's a lot of work, it's a lot of time, it's a lot of effort. But I just imagine her kind of looking over at those camels. Maybe she could see that they're obviously thirsty, and it's obviously been a long journey. Saying, you know, would you like me to get some water for your camels? Can you imagine the excitement of that man that says he's he's sitting there and he's watching her? And she must have done this with joy. I mean, who would want to go get that much water for camels? Gallon upon gallon upon gallon. But she does it with a joyfulness about it. You've been around those people, they're just joyful all the time. Isn't it, isn't it attractive? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't it something that, I mean, it's just like you just want to be around them all the time because every time you're around them, they're just joyful and happy. And, and, and I mean, they're just uh, planning, like, yeah, this is the next thing and this is what God has for us. And, and you look at some of the things they do and you think, how in the world do you enjoy that? And they say, oh, I'm not enjoying it at all. <laughs> it's great though, because I'm doing it for the Lord. And, and I mean, it's just, they just have that, that spunk and that, in Bible time, we call it spizzerinkdom. And, uh, and they just have a, a, a joy about them. Don't you love being around joyful people? Don't you love being around people that don't just say they're joyful, but you can tell when you talk to them they're joyful, and they have a a joy in serving Jesus? And here's this lady that she obviously recognized. Part of what she was doing was she was uh, caring for this man, probably in a manner that it's not just about this man, and it's not just about this man's camels, but she's serving because she truly has a servant's heart. And she's just joyful and she's excited. And, and I mean, I just kind of picture her bounce over and get some more water and bounce back over and pour it in the trough and, and look in there. Oh, they drank all that too. And she goes back and puts more in, uh, drank all that too. And, and, but she just didn't get down out and discouraged. And she kept working at it and working at it and working at it with a great attitude and a great spirit. And this man looked and said, you know, somebody that'll do that. That's what I was praying for. Because that's what my master needs. He needs a wife that'll serve in that manner. And he needs a wife who'll be joyful when the hard times come. And he needs somebody who will have an excellent spirit no matter what. We see the provision of his prayer. We see that he came uh, with power in his prayer. He came with purpose in his prayer. But then God provided his prayer. God did the miraculous. God gave direction. God answered the prayer of this servant. And you know, as we come as servants of the King of Kings, and we come and make requests, aren't you glad we can trust our God to answer prayer? Aren't you glad we can trust our God to give miraculous direction according to his will? And we can come and say, Lord, I'm trying to come. I want to come by the well. I want to come in a right way. I want to come with a right relationship. I want to come asking you that your will will be done. And Lord, I really just need your direction for it. I pray quite frequently and I say, Lord, I just need to know your direction. I'll do whatever it is you want done. I just need to know your direction. And I just say to the Lord, I'm kind of honest, figure he knows it anyway. I say, but you know I'm a little thick-headed. So you're going to have to make it clear enough even I can understand it. But if you'll make it clear enough that I can understand your direction, if you'll make it so clear I know for a fact that's what we're supposed to do, whether it's as a church, as a family, uh, for my life, if I know for a fact that's what you want done, I'll do it. You just have to make sure I know what it is. And that's how I think this servant's coming. Lord, you just have to show us. You just have to make it clear, Lord, I need this to be more than just a feeling. I need this to be more than a a moment of, I think this is God's direction. Lord, I need you to do something amazing to make it so clear that I know I can't miss your direction. And as soon as I know that's it, then I'll pursue 
and I'll do what you have for me to do. And you know, that's how we ought to be coming to our Savior. We ought to be coming to the Lord, saying, Lord, provide. Lord, give me the direction. Lord, give me the understanding of your will. Lord, all I'm trying to do is align my will to your will. All I'm trying to do is come in a way that I am coming in Jesus' name, that I am coming in uh, an understanding, a relationship with him, and a communion with him, and I'm coming asking for that which he desires for my life. I'm really just aligning my will to your will. I see that this man came with a power in his prayer. I see that there was the purpose that was in his prayer. It was very clear. I see the provision of his prayer. God answered and worked and moved in a miraculous manner. But then number four and finally, I see the praise from his prayer. Look down at verse number 26. It says uh, in these middle verses we didn't read, we see where he said, can I come and, and Stay at your home, basically. And she said, uh, yeah, we have straw and provender and nothing. In other words, we can take care of your camels. We can take care of you. We've got the provisions that are needed. And, and so now he knows that God is working and moving and all this is happening. And, uh, and God's will is being done. In verse number 26, and the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. You know, he didn't forget to spend time worshipping. He didn't just say, oh, but God answered my prayer and take off sprinting. Here's this woman, she says, yeah, there's room at our house. Yeah, there's room for your camels, and there's room for your servants, and there's room for you. There's room for everything. And it would have been real easy for him just to stand there and turn around and say, all right, boys, let's go, load up. Get the camels moving. We got a place to stay tonight. But first he stopped. He bowed his head. And he just began to worship God. I don't know about you. I'm ashamed to admit this morning, but the reality is there's been times God's answered prayer. And I've said, wow, that's exciting. He gave us direction, and I took off sprinting. And a little ways down the road, I went, wait a minute. I should have stopped back there, spent some time worshiping and thanking and praising God. Yeah, I'm excited to know his direction, but it's really not about accomplishing the thing. It's really about having the relationship with him. And that's what we see pictured here at this well of request because God says, look, I want you to understand that you need Jesus as your Savior and that he is indeed God. And I want you to partake of him. I want you to receive him. I want you to, to, to partake of that which God the Father has already provided in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, God the Son. I want you to partake of that. I want you to, to know that salvation and the joy of it. But the next thing is I want that relationship. And relationship is always preceded by redemption. Relationship is always preceded, uh, or, or excuse me, fellowship is always preceded by relationship. And, and when the relationship comes, now all of a sudden we can begin to have fellowship. Have you ever met somebody for the first time and tried to fellowship with them? It can be hard. But have you ever met somebody for the first time and within a few minutes you're able to really fellowship with one another? happens a lot with Christians because we have some things in common, amen? But when you very first meet somebody, you're not at the point of fellowship, but you are at the point you're now beginning a relationship. And those two can happen fairly quickly, but, uh, but before you can fellowship, you have to have begun the relationship. And you know, before we can fellowship with God, there's people around our world that are trying to fellowship with him in different ways but they've never begun a relationship. They've never come through the work and the person of Jesus Christ. 
Let me just say that you may be here this morning and, and maybe you'd say, you know, I want that relationship that you're talking about where I can come and pray and ask God and have direction for my life. And, and I want that fellowship, that closeness to God. And, and I've tried to have that and I've tried to get it through, through different means and I've tried different churches. And, and how do I have that fellowship you're talking about? First, you've got to understand Jesus is God. Then you have to receive Jesus as your personal Savior according to what the Bible says. Believing that you're a sinner and that because you're a sinner, that your sin must be washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ, the one who died, was buried, and rose again. And then when you've received him as your Savior and let him wash your sin away and deal with the sin account, now because there's relationship, there can begin to be fellowship. And here's what we see pictured in these wells. As soon as there's relationship, the next step is fellowship with our God. You know, sometimes we can get tied up in trying to figure out how to fix everything, how to run our life, how to have some control of things, how to get things looking right or whatever it might be on the outside. You know what God's picture is? Understand Jesus is God, get saved, and start having a personal relationship that's real, that's vibrant, that's vital, that has life to it. Start fellowshipping with God. Come to the well of request. Come to the place of prayer. Come in, in communion with the Savior. And learn how to fellowship with me. And you know what happens when we learn to fellowship with him? He'll take care of fixing stuff. Amen? And we don't have to battle and, and try to figure out, well, how do I not try to keep control of it? No, no, no. Because we're fellowshipping with him, the other things start flowing out of the fellowship. And we'll see that over the next few weeks. So often we try to do what really he has to do in us. And we don't fellowship because we're so busy trying to do all the stuff. And yet we have a God who says, but what I want is your attention. What I want is your time. What I want is your fellowship. And I want to spend time fellowshipping with you. Would you come to me in prayer? Would you come to me and spend time with me? Would you come to me and let your requests be made known unto God? And then when I answer, would you just stop and worship? Because I didn't answer so you could run off and do it. I answered because I want fellowship with you. So we have relationship. Now we fellowship. Verse 26 tells us that he worshiped the Lord. Verse 27, last verse. And he said... Here's how he worshiped. Here's what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master in his mercy and his truth. I, being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Isn't that the Christian life? <laughs> We're mostly in the way, amen? Uh, that's not what he's saying. But I, being in the way, I, I got in the place for God to lead me. And then God's the one who did the work. And gave direction. All I did was follow every step to the best that I could. All I did was follow the direction as far as I knew and trusted God to give the next step great clarity. And here's this man who comes and he worships God saying, all I knew how to do was get in the way. All I knew how to do was go over to that well. All I knew how to do was just pray and say, Lord, would you make it clear? But I being in the way... The Lord led me. Maybe today you say, Pastor, I don't know exactly what the next step is that God has in some area of life. I don't know exactly how this is going to work or how that's going to work. Or there's some challenge over here that God seems to have left me in this trial for a while. And, and I don't understand exactly what it is or why I'm there. And, and I really just need some direction. Let me encourage you, don't try to fix it. Just fellowship. And when you fellowship instead of fix, then you can get to the right place to be in the way. So then the Lord can say, now here's the next step 
in the way that I have for you to go. Really what he's saying, I was in the way, uh, I being in the way of the Lord, led me. he's saying, I being in the path. That's what he means, the, the way, the path. I was in the right path. The Lord just told me where the next step was. And I took the steps every time he made them clear. You know, really, the essence of it is that's the Christian life. Fellowshipping, worshiping, praising our God, and saying, okay, Lord, what's the next step? I'll just stay in the right way. And when I, when I misunderstand something or I don't do it right and I step out of the way, Lord, would you convict me quickly so I can get back in the way so you can show me the next step so I can keep obeying. And we're just taking one step after another in obedience to our Savior. He's the one who guides it. He's the one who leads it. He's the one in charge of it. Really, our part is loving, worshiping, fellowshipping with him, and then just obeying each step in the way. Are you obeying the steps? Are you fellowshipping with the Savior? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for these pictures that you give us, even in the Old Testament of the Christian life. And Father, we know that you've said in the New Testament that these things that were written of old, that they were written for our learning. Lord, would you help us today to learn from these? Would you help us to walk in the way as this servant did? Would you help us to come and make requests of you as he did? Lord, would you help us not to focus on fixing, but focus on fellowshipping? Would you help us to be people who would uh, truly worship the Lord and take time to stop and to just focus in on the Lord Jesus Christ? Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to serve you. We pray now that you would help us to respond as you've spoken to us today. In Jesus' name I pray.